I can never see the screens. I'm never quite certain when the bumper video is done. But good morning, Arbor Church. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's been so great to actually come and talk to people in the room. I just can't get over it. Um, So I'm thrilled to be here again to continue our series on letters to a young church. Um, I'm going to be honest with you today. I know two weeks ago I promised to keep it under 90 minutes. Today I'm going to try to do about 30 minutes to make up for that because it was a long service the last time I was here. Um, But I'm going to be honest with you is that we're going to meander a bit today. I went on a I went on a long hike yesterday. I, I love getting into the backcountry, either snowboarding or snowshoeing. Yesterday was a snowshoeing day, and I did a big traverse up to Snow Lake and back around the saddle of Chair Peak and back down into Source Lake and got off trail on purpose sometimes and just did some exploring. So I got notes here. I've got an outline, but I can't promise we're going to stay on the trail all the time. We might meander around a little bit because, hey, that, you know, sometimes we find some beauty in that. So we're going to just wander a little bit through my notes, and I feel bad for the guys in the back that are probably clicking around trying to figure it out with us, but we're going to get to the goal of what we want to today. Um, we continue our theme, all right, under letters to a young church, which is the truths of then are the truths for today. The truths of then are the truths for today. I'm going to dive right into our first verse of the day, because This verse is foundational, not just to Galatians, but to the entire gospel. And it's upon this verse that we're going to build our entire message today. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul begins chapter 5 with this bold slogan of spiritual liberty. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ lived, died, and was resurrected so that we might be free. And this is the theme and point of Galatians. And it is from Galatians 1, that we're at 5, 1, that we're going to pull our three truths for today. Anytime I read this verse, I'm reminded of you know, the movie Braveheart and Mel Gibson, it's not a very nice scene, but the gruesome scene at the end, and he yells freedom. And I feel like Paul right now is trying to yell out to the Galatians and all of the churches, don't forget your freedom in Christ. That's the whole point of everything. And I know we've been hammering on this throughout the book of Galatians, but that's the whole point of Galatians, because it was trying to be stripped away from the early church by the Judaizers and other false teachers. And so we're going to hit on it again today, but I want to look through three key points. And like I said, as we wander today, I want you to remember our three key things for today. And they are, and they're taken right out of the verse. I didn't try to be creative with them. I didn't try to come up with some hip slang way to say them. So I'm just going right back to the way Paul said them. The first one is this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The second one is stand firm and guard your freedom. Stand firm and guard your freedom. The last one is resist the yoke of slavery. Some translations say resist the burden of slavery. We're going to go through those three points today, and we're going to try to figure out exactly what we can do in our Christian lives and what Paul was trying to tell us. But let's jump right into our first point, and I'm going to say a prayer real quick, as I always do. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way today, Lord. I pray that as I've studied, as you've given us your word, as you've revealed to us what you're saying, that that would be revealed today, Lord. Give us 
ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to go put into action what we take away from your message today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> For freedom, Christ has set us free. So what is freedom? In all simplicity, if you boil freedom down to just a simple definition, it's the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, either by a person, a system, a country, a government, It's the idea of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Both of these words in this verse, the idea of freedom has set us free, the idea that Christ's freedom has given us to be free are the same thing in the Greek context. In fact, the verse as we go along here where it says, and the um, where it says, has set us free. In the Greek, it's a past tense. It means it's been done once and for all, it cannot be redone. The idea is that once Christ died on the cross and we stepped into relationship with him, we are free. He will not put us back into enslavement. He will not take away that freedom. Now, we can lose our joy and life of freedom in Christ, and we're going to look at that. We can allow things to come in and take away our freedom in Christ. But the justification, the freedom that we got through salvation is once and for all, we're sealed in Christ. We now, all right, have a relationship with God to remain in to help that freedom be ever evident in our life. And that's what we're going to dive through today. Paul begins with this clear, refreshing statement of Christ's will for our lives because sometimes we as Christians, we get bogged down in all the nuances of like, what's God's will for my life? We always keep asking ourselves these questions and there's nothing wrong with taking questions to God like, what should I do for a job? Who should I marry? Where should I move next? How should I invest this money? These are wise things to ask God. But we get so wrapped up in all the nuances of life sometimes that we forget to just live in freedom. I told you that I went on this snowshoe hike yesterday. I think many of you know me. You know that my escape is the backcountry. Anywhere in the mountains is where I get unburdened from everything that's going on in life. And we started out on a trail, got up the mountain, and I'm like, we're going off trail. We're going to go this saddle over there. And the reason I like doing those things is because when you get up to a saddle in a mountain and you're looking down on a lake and a valley and the peaks all around you, there's this sense of freedom. There's no road in front of you. It's a little bit risky. It's a little bit scary. But let me tell you something. We serve a wild, risky, dangerous God. Do you understand that? We serve a wild, risky, dangerous God that wants us to step off the trail and live in this freedom from him and stand at a mountain and just go, wow. I don't know if you've ever experienced you being the only one in the backcountry looking at everything as there's a sense of everything melts away. Everything in life kind of boils back down to what is important. And it's in those moments for me in the backcountry there, standing up there, then I'm just like, why am I so stressed? Now, I could give you a lot of reasons as a principal right now, a lot of reasons as a dad, a lot of reasons financially, but in that moment when I'm in true fellowship with God and none of that is around bombarding me, it brings me back to the center of the freedom we have in Christ that we so walk away from because of so many different reasons. And that is what Paul is calling us back to. In fact, let's look at verses two through five. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. 
Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Remember that circumcision in this scripture right here is the one instance where the Judaizers are trying to hold the Jews to the law. It just serves as a doorway for us to walk through and look at our own lives. What is it in your life that you keep bringing yourself back to that I'm not doing this well enough, I'm not doing this good enough, I have to do this, I have to do this? What is it? It, 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 Don't think about it through the lens of the circumcision or the Old Testament law. you got to think about it through yourself. For me, there's lots of things I beat myself up on. I haven't done enough with my finances yet. I, didn't, I wasn't responsible enough here. I wasn't a good enough steward here. Oh my goodness, I, I was a little bit too intense in this conversation. All right? I didn't mediate that or facilitate that the best that I could. God's disappointed in me. Oh man, you know what? I didn't spend enough time in the Word this week. You know what? Oh, I should have prayed more about that. We put this burden on ourselves and beat ourselves up for things when Christ is just saying, just come here. I'm your Father. Your Abba Father, just come sit here next to me. Look at everything from my lens and my view. And I think we forget how beautiful we are in the eyes of God. And I think we forget that the freedom he has for us is meant to empower us, not to enslave us. And yet we allow ourselves to get enslaved over and over again, not just by circumcision like here, but by everything else. And what does Paul say it does? It alienates us from Christ. It actually, all these things that we think we're doing to help us grow closer to Christ, push us further away. I grew up in a church, I told you it was very legalistic, but a great church foundationally in the scripture. And we had a memory verse program and we had to memorize our Bible verses. And I'm telling you what, that was stressful, man, as a nine-year-old kid having to memorize all those verses. And I can remember driving to church and getting ready 10 minutes out from church and I'm saying the verses in the back seat of the car to my mom and my dad. And they're like, no, that's not how you say the verse. You have to say it, now get it right. You gotta get this right. Then you walk into Sunday school and you're trying to say the verse. And it's all intended for good reasons to memorize a scripture and we should memorize and put it away. What about people that struggle with memorization? What about people that don't memorize things well or it doesn't stick or it doesn't help? That's just another myopic thing that I carry with me at times. I'm like, why can't I remember that verse? I can't preach. I can't even remember what that verse really says or where it is in the Bible. And I carried that burden for a long time. But what Paul was trying to say here all right, is what does it mean to be radically free in Christ? It means we are free from the rules that we thought bound us to God. It means that we are free from the manipulation other Christians use to make us feel like them and look like them. Free from having to fit into the world's mold of what we should be, but rather than Christ's mold of who he's called us to be. We are free from the slavery of religion. We are free from the slavery of of the own stories we believe about ourselves. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
So your enjoyment of freedom is much more important to God than many of these day-to-day circumstances or many of these rules and stipulations or the cookie-cutter mold of what we put on Christianity. Now listen to me. Freedom is not a right to live however you want, and Brian's going to talk about that next week. And we're going to close with a bridge verse saying that. Don't abuse your freedom. Don't take advantage of that freedom. But I'm saying today, what I want to focus on today, are you truly as a believer in Christ living in freedom, free from the guilt of sin, free from the penalty of sin, free from the shame of sin, the power of sin, free from the power of the law or the works to condemn us? I might have shared this before, but many, many years ago, I think in the 80s, they did a survey of kindergartners in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, like 5,000 kindergartners. And they asked them, do you like who you are? And like 99% of kindergartners said, yes, I like who I am. They then, years later, hunted down as many of those kindergartners as they could for when they were seniors in high school and asked them the same question, do you like who you are? 47% of seniors said, I like who I am. What happened between that freedom of a kindergartner where you could be whatever you wanted to be in the world? You thought you were, you loved yourself, you loved your friends, to with time you're just, just those years later as a senior. Because we begin to believe the stories about ourselves and our relationship with God and our failures and our faults and our sins and it strips away that freedom because we pile all these expectations on ourselves. There's nothing wrong with hopes and dreams. There's nothing wrong with goals and wanting to grow in Christ. But the minute you make it an expectation for your relationship with Christ, it changes the game. God has a will for you to live holy. But the minute you drive yourself to the stake in the ground that you have to do something this way or that way, and if you don't, you're not living up to his standard. There's a difference between God being displeased with how you're living and not being in relationship with you. He's only displeased with you because he's in relationship with you. Otherwise, he would have no regard. We need to be careful then that we're not giving up that freedom. In Galatians 5, 5, Jesus says this, for, though the Spirit, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope for. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing, listen to me, anywhere in Scripture it says the only thing that counts, listen to this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love of who? Love love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The next greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. That's right from Jesus. And in between those two of love, you have first got to love yourself and the freedom God has given you. Because you can't go about the other things. Faith expressing itself through love. Jesus answered this once. He said, no greater love hath a man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Are you laying down your life so it's Christ in you, not you in Christ? Christ in you. Rather than you trying to strive and strive and strive to be more in Christ. For whose gain? 
So there's this irony that while we try to live a holy life in what we should do, we can make it this bondage that we're in because we forget at times God says, I want you to be free. Free to hear what I'm telling you to do. Free to open to try something different. Free to move where I want you to go. But we get so constrained by the American dream, by the way church should look, by the way I've been taught to live as a Christian, that we're not open to the reality of maybe God's got something else more beautiful for us to see. I'm standing there on that hike. I'm looking down on Snow Lake. I'm looking up on the mountains. And I'm just taking it all in. And all of a sudden I turn around and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all that. There's even more behind me. And we get so tunneled vision on this, we forget to look around and see what other freedoms God's got for us. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. Because without that freedom... We're no different than the Judaizers were. We're no different than work salvation. Let me tell you, this is a foundational difference between Christianity and any other religion. Any other religion is about you becoming better to attain a spirituality. Christ says, I am free. My gift is free. My salvation is free. And once you're in me, you have a freedom to abide with me. Now abide in me and with me. The next thing we're talking about today is stand firm and guard your freedom. Stand firm then and guard your freedom. Yet Paul warns us that the freedom we have, he says it back in that verse earlier, he said right here, you become alienated from Christ and you've fallen away from grace. So there's this idea that we need to stand firm. He says in the verse, stand firm. What does that mean? It's this military term to be vigilant. It's the idea to guard or protect something. It's the idea that we are alert We're strong, we're resisting attack, and we're standing together. We read all throughout Scripture that the enemy roars, goes around like a a lion seeking whom he may devour. The enemy wants to tear us down. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We need to stand firm. We need to be vigilant about what is happening in our life that's taking away our freedom. Sometimes it's our own sin. Sometimes it's our own mistakes, our own sin, our own habits, our own behaviors. What are you doing to stand firm and guard against those? What has God revealed to you that you maybe need to address? Sometimes it's other things in our life, other people in our lives that are not teaching us correctly, that are holding us to something that isn't biblical. Are you discerning what you're hearing, even me today, through the lens of Scripture? And if it doesn't align, are you seeking truth, God's truth? Because if you're not doing that, you're just walking around blindly hoping that what people tell you is true when you have access to God himself. And if what I say or anybody says up here doesn't align with scripture, then it's not truth. And it's not freedom. It's enslavement to a lie. And that's what we're trying to get to here. So he tells us to stand firm. Although we have been saved in Christ, we must be diligent to, to, to sorry. To protect the freedom we were given in Christ. I'm so excited, I can't even talk today. We cannot lose our, listen to this, you cannot lose your salvation, but Paul tells us you can lose your freedom in Christ. You can become alienated from him and his grace. Man, if there's anything we need more in our society today, it's grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. We are ready to cancel people left and right. Where is the room for grace and mercy? Galatians 5, 7 through 9, Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? 
to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Back in the 80s, there was a female long-distance runner. She dominated the world scene, Mary Decker. All right? She was the world's best long-distance runner at the time, at least from America. She dominated the 1,500-meter, 3,000-meter. She was a world champion in the 1,000 and 3,000 meter, the 1983 World Championships. Going into the 1984 Olympics that were held in Los Angeles, great memory for me as a kid, if any of you remember that. All right? She was the front runner to win a gold medal in the 3,000 meters, if not maybe the 10,000 meters. She gets to the 3,000 meter race and she begins running. And Mary Decker had a very unconventional running style. I don't know if anybody in here ran track or coached track like I did, but the one thing you don't wanna do as a distance runner is run outside of the edge of the pack because you're actually running further around the track. But Mary Decker did not like running in the pack. She'd either find herself on the edge of the pack or pushing herself too hard out in front of the pack. And she'd always almost get caught towards the end of the race, but had enough stamina to win. So it was a very unconventional way that she ran. Well, in the 3,000 meter race of the Olympics, by the third lap, she's out in front again. All right, and the pack is right up on her a little bit, but she's out in front. And by the final lap, or sorry, right behind her was this little barefoot runner. I'll never forget this name, Zola Bud. Barefoot, out there running on the track, 3,000 meters. That's some tough skin. And she's right behind Mary Decker. And on the final lap, Zola Bud cuts up around her and comes right in there. And there's this unwritten rule on the track that you need to have at least a yard space between you and the person you're cutting in front of. And she comes right in, and somewhere in the next few strides, their feet tangle up, and Mary Decker crashes to the ground, tumbles off the track. Her injures her hip. And you, if you watch it online, you can see in her face, devastated. She couldn't finish the race. She never won another gold medal. Pretty much career going downhill from there. There was a much controversy. At first, Zola Bud was disqualified from the race. She didn't even win the race. Then, all right, video evidence said she's not disqualified. And there was controversy for years. And I want you to hear something. This is interesting to me. Years later, when asking Mary Decker about this, all right, she said this. The reason I fell... Some people think Zola tripped me deliberately. I happen to know that wasn't the case at all. The reason I fell is because I'm very inexperienced at running in a pack. I share this verse with you today because here's what I think is the profound issue of how we end up not standing firm. We try to do it on our own. If you isolate yourself from Christ, if you isolate yourself from a body of believers, from others that are trying to run the race with you, you will trip and fall. It is guaranteed. You cannot think there is nobody in my life I can talk to when I mess up. You cannot think I can't go talk to somebody about this because it's too embarrassing, it's too humiliating. I don't need this help. I can do it on my own. The minute you isolate yourself and you don't learn how to run with a pack of other believers, you are primed to trip and fall. I promise you, in this season of what we're going through in Arbor, do not try to run on your own. 
God can do all things we want him to do. God can do all things that are impossible. God can do anything we ask, he says, yet he calls us to be a body of believers. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Where two or more are gathered, a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken. Learn to run in a pack. You want to stand firm? It takes other people around you to watch your right, your left, your back, your front, and help you. That's the biggest thing I want you to take out of here. The other thing I want you to take is this last little thing where he says a little yeast works through the whole batch. It doesn't take something big to trip us up. It usually starts as something small. You know, did you know what yeast is just a single cell fungus? Tiny little thing. I worked in a pizza place growing up, and one of the, we played a trick on our boss one night because before we shut down at night, we had to get the dough set for the next day to rise. And we thought it'd be funny just to put a little extra scoop of yeast in there. And we grew them in these big 50-gallon garbage cans. Think about that. Did you like that little pizza idea? <laughs> garbage cans are not just used for garbage cans. They're used for growing the crust on the pizza that you think is so delicious. <laughs> there you go. All right? But you'd put the stuff in there. You'd mix it up. And you'd throw it in the garbage can. You'd put the lid on it. And it'd rise. And we thought, let's play a joke on our manager. And let's put a little more yeast in there and see what happens. He comes in the next morning, that dough had gone up out of the garbage, out of the thing, all over the cold walk-in, all over the floor. It was like an overflowing washing machine. It was like a foot and a half deep everywhere in the walk-in. And I was like, he knew immediately who did it. Call, man, calls me in there, starts chewing on me, he goes, how much did you put? He goes, I, I just put like a little extra teaspoon or two. He goes, teaspoon or two? Do you know how powerful that stuff is? And that serves a reminder to me is this. Something so small at first can grow to be way out of control. And if you don't have people in your life to look at you like Paul is telling the Galatians, stop, wake up. Who's pulling you away? Either remove that person or remove yourself. We have to be diligent. We have to stand firm and guard our freedom. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 8, and 10, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Make sure you're not throwing yourself into confusion. Make sure others aren't throwing you into confusion. And if they are, or if you are, seek guidance from people that love God and you can trust. Learn to run in a pack, because you can't do it alone. So who or what have we let cut in on us? What's the little barefoot runner right behind us that we don't think is a threat that we let cut in and trip us up? What's the little scoop of yeast we do over here in secret or private that nobody really knows about that's growing bigger and bigger each day? It will not only cause hurt and pain in your life, possibly more importantly and most importantly, Paul is saying, it will alienate you from the grace of God because it will usher in shame and guilt and fear and the law. And that's not what he wants for you. Christ wants freedom. Stand firm then and guard your freedom. We're getting to the end here, Galatians 2.20. We dive in. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Our last point is, all right, do not take on the yoke of slavery. 
You have to listen to this verse again. Listen to what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul says my whole point now is to live for Christ. For His glory in me. For me to live is Christ to die is gain. Christ is freedom. Anything trying to live outside of Christ is loss of freedom or a yoke of slavery. A yoke is basically a wooden beam or a harness that goes between two animals to help them carry a heavy load. Mainly oxen you see them pictures on. This big wooden beam. While it's meant for good to help carry a load, it's also a picture of harnessing, strapping in. You're tied to something. Oftentimes the picture for me is we tie ourselves to things that are good, but it becomes a burden. And the burden overwhelms the sense of freedom and we start doing things out of a sense of duty. Let me tell you what a sense of duty does to the soul. All right, It takes away the love and joy for what you're doing. Oftentimes many of us are living our Christianity out of sense of duty and we've lost the love of Christ. We've lost the passion for why we're doing it. We're just going through the routine because this is what I'm supposed to do. That's not freedom, folks. That's responsibility. That's a sense of duty. While there's room for responsibility in what we do, it better not be the driving factor because what does Christ want? He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to experience the freedom he has for you. And that's the problem, Paul says, when we put this yoke back on us. When we put this thing on us, it feels like it's gonna help us carry this heavy load of walking holiness with God. It can actually become the one thing that enslaves us to God. And God doesn't want us to be enslaved to him. He wants us to be free with him, free in him. Works hinder our relationship with Jesus. This creates difficulties for us, resulting in a loss or an obstruction in our freedom with Christ. The Galatians, get this, were former pagan believers. And in their paganism, they had all these things they had to do. Different sacrifices, different temple rituals. And within that paganism, there was lots of sin and debauchery. But there were all these things they had to do. Now get this, to Paul, he paints a picture that the Mosaic law, if you take it and elevate it, the scripture, to a sense of works, you are no different than the pagans that are doing this to unbelievers. That is a powerful statement. And he is saying, don't fall back into the paganism you left and don't fall into the old law that makes you work a certain way. You need to work in freedom because that's why Christ came. So my question to you is this, is what has Christ freed you from that you keep going back to? What is it you keep yoking yourself back to that puts burden on you that is not intended? Jesus says, come to me, my burden is light. He will carry that burden for you. He will help you with that. You don't need to be putting it back on and trapping yourself underneath it again to carry all that weight. That's not what he intended to do. How do we resist? I mean, how do we resist this yoke of slavery? He says in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The first thing you need to do is daily draw near to God. The next thing he says in that verse is resist the devil. You need to resist the things that are trying to enslave you. You've got to put an active effort into that. The other thing is we need to gather together. You need to have people in your lives that can help you see what's happening. And then you need to practice living in love. Love for yourself, love for others, love for God. I'm closing out with this bridge verse, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is a bridge verse. 
that Brian's going to build off of next week. Because the one thing I don't want you walking away from today is that our freedom in Christ allows us to do anything. Your freedom in Christ, if it's true freedom and you're walking in that freedom, it's not going to tell you to do whatever you want to do. You're going to want to do what is right with God, not because it earns you privilege with God, because it deepens your relationship with God and you begin to better understand the God that gave you the freedom. As I was out hiking yesterday and I'm off trail doing what I'm doing off trail, I'm not just willy-nilly walking around wherever I want. I don't just wander the snow-filled backcountry without any regard for anything. No, there's avalanche chutes. There's loose snow cornices. I got to look at the slope of the mountain I'm trying to traverse. If I'm with a group of people, we don't all traverse it across at the same time. We space ourselves out. I have an avalanche beacon with me. People know where I've been. I text certain people when I go up into the mountains. So if I do get buried, they can try to come find me. What I'm saying is there's risk and there's ways that you mitigate your life safely in the backcountry to enjoy the freedom that it gives you. There are ways that you mitigate and live your life with Christ and his freedom that help you embrace it safely and honorably that glorifies him. And the way that we do that, all right, is that we don't forget these three points. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Remember your calling. You are called to be free. Embrace that freedom. Live in it. Two, stand firm and guard your freedom. Do not indulge the flesh. Don't just go do whatever you want. Paul says in another scripture, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The last one, resist the yoke of slavery. You must, all right? You must draw near to God. You must surround yourself with others that believe, and you must try to walk in service to God. Do not put yourself back under slavery. It is a clear and unqualified command. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is the will of God for you. To remember that you have freedom in Christ. Let us make sure that we're not doing something in our lives that has taken away that freedom. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you, Lord, for how you're showing us each day, God, what we can do to continue to live in freedom with you, to continue to enjoy the freedom that given us. And God, I have a feeling there's some people that this Christian walk isn't seem enjoyable right now. It seems more like a burden. And how ironic that our attempt in walking with God who rescued us would seem like a burden. That is the biggest lie that the enemy likes to use, Lord. So God, I pray that today we would look at our own selves. Have we allowed ourselves to slip back into anything that is putting us back into bondage rather than freedom with Christ? Thank you, Jesus, for the time today. May we have gotten something out of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.